0: your teen requested a ride but this time not from you it's through their uber teen account
2: When Dolly got in, she turned it down originally, saying, I don't want to block another woman who should get in. I'm country. I'm not rock and roll. So I wrote her a note. She said, oh, I get it now. The answer is still no. (laughs) You ought to do a better job telling people who you are.
1: We're going to do this episode a bit different. It's episode 402 with John Sykes, who works alongside me, I mean, over me, actually, at iHeartRadio, but... He is the chairman of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's why we initiated this conversation, because obviously this is a music podcast. But, dude, I'm going to tell you, I learned so much about John, and I've known John for a long time. I didn't know he's one of the people that started VH1. Yeah, he's like the Forrest Gump of the music industry. Crazy this guy's stories. So you're going to hear a lot of different stuff. We'll talk Hall of Fame. We'll talk iHeartRadio. We'll talk VH1, how he started that. He was part of the group that started MTV. But because we talk about pop-up videos, we're going to do this episode like a pop-up video. Yeah. Audio-wise. <laughs> We've never done this before like this. So you'll hear little pop-ups throughout the episode with facts as we talk to John. So you have some background, but also we just thought it was funny if we did a pop-up video episode. So John Sykes, he is the president of iHeartMedia Entertainment Enterprises. As Mike said, he's the Forrest Gump of the music industry. I learned a lot you know, prior to iHeartMedia. It was just him building and operating multiple entertainment brands. When I brought up, I don't want to say the bands, but when I brought up one specific band and he's like, yeah, I signed them to the first publishing deal. I was, Unbelievable. Like, wait. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and then he goes, oh yeah, and this band. And I was like, wait, what? It's just a great episode. And it all comes down to 2019. He was named the chairman of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and that's what we get into. He holds an honorary doctor up in the Berklee School of Music. The Berklee School of Music thinks you're so honorable. They give you a doc. That's crazy. That and he's a member of the Cable Television Hall of Fame. And he's one of the guys at my company that I love so much, which is iHeartRadio. Here he is, John Sykes. It looks like you have some sort of editing program behind you. What's going on back there? Behind me? Yeah, it looks like you're in the middle of editing some, some show of some sort. What is that on the wall up, up there?
2: Oh, even the, the what, handwritten or on the monitor?
1: No, on the monitor right there. What is that?
2: Oh, oh the monitor just, is just a line. Yeah, the lineup of everything we've got. I just kind of slot the shows and who's doing what, where, when. We got about 10 polls a year. I do the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony, which is going to be massive this year. I've got the Robin Hood event and Red. So yeah, I've got to I juggle a few things here. It's, it's part of my, uh, it, I like to have a lot of unpaid jobs,
1: Bob. <laughs> yeah, but cool ones, which by the way, formally everybody, this is John Sykes, who is the president of iHeart Media Entertainment Enterprises. Your music career has been so many different places that had, uh, for example, when you started MTV, one of the guys that started that, and you did the very first ever VMAs. It's gotta be weird to have some of those guys who you started and did the first VMAs with, and now they're getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, it's like watching Who Do You Get Old. Like, Darius is my first ever interview, and I'm like, dang, I'm getting old. I was like a kid, and now Darius is also old. I mean, you, there has to be some of those acts that you were with when they were babies, and you were a baby, that now you guys are doing massive things together as you're getting a little older. It's kind of like you.
2: You're much more talented than I am, but I mean, even hip-hop, even country, you knew rock and roll, you knew all that. I was never really a talent, on-air talent, but I was obsessed with music. It defined my life growing up. It was When you grew up in a small town, Schenectady, New York, mom's a college professor, dad's a retail guy, music was the snapshot of my culture. You know, it told... And Bob Dylan told me about politics. I learned more about Bob Dylan about politics than I did from, from Lyndon Johnson or Richard Nixon, thank God. And so, for me, it's uh, I look at my career as, as people say, God, you had a lot of jobs. I go, no, I've had one job. I work with artists. I love music. I may look at it through different lenses, but to me, it's an ecosystem of, um, you know, I was in, when I was in school, all I wanted to do was start a video music channel. Ladies
1: and gentlemen, rock and roll. MTV, the station launched on August 1st, 1981 at 1201 a.m. The first music video ever played was the Buggles' Video Killed the Radio Star. Video Killed the Radio Star
2: Video Killed the Radio Star Not because it was some brilliant idea. To me, it was, in, and to Bob Pittman, who was, was there and really a, our leader of, of the five founders. It was the next step. We all grew up with radio, television, and music and listened to our records but we couldn't see them move. <laughs> we had to w- open Rolling Stone. Again, you're you're young enough to remember MTV or pre-MTV, but barely. But I remember when I, I had to watch a TV show late on a Sunday night and go, oh, my God, there's Jimi Hendrix. I, I'm seeing Jimi Hendrix move. There's Eric Clapton. Holy cow, there is. There were no movies. There was nothing that showed artists. So, for me... This I was fascinated. I was a child of television. I went to the Newhouse School at Syracuse. I was obsessed with television and radio. And so it was the next step. When MTV kind of was established, became a hit, and Bob and I both left, and uh, he went into, because Bob's a genius, he went into theme parks and he went into AOL and he went into uh, Century 20 real estate. I was obsessed with music. Bob used to say, you know what your problem is? You're too passionate about what you do. (laughs) It's like I laughed all the time with him. But it was to me the next step was to when I couldn't get the money to raise MTV to start MTV out of college I took a job at a record company and I met these artists that I work with
1: I met bands like Cheap Trick Let's talk about the band Cheap Trick Cheap Trick's biggest song was released in 1977 when they put out the smash hit I want you to want me I want- Cheap Trick's guitarist once said that their bassist, Tom Peterson, wrote that song as a bit of a joke and wanted to do a song that was a mix of pop and heavy metal because pop was so popular at the time. And you may know Cheap Trick as well from that double-necked guitar, sometimes triple-neck guitar. Artists like Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, known as the king of pop, arguably the greatest entertainer in music history, Michael Jackson's Thriller album was the best-selling album of all time. It sold over 70 million copies, which is crazy, and features the song Thriller. Uh, Heart. Heart was a band formed in Seattle, Washington, and evolved into their name over time. They started out as The Army, then they went by Hocus Pocus, then White Heart, and then they settled on just Heart. Now, you may know some of Hart's hits, like this song, Barracuda, Ooh, Barracuda, and this song, Crazy On You.
2: And it's been incredible, incredibly rewarding to see them get up on stage at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and be inducted. And Cheap Trick, when they got in, said, we'd like to thank the guy who brought his pizza as a college rep at Syracuse on Sykes. <laughs> I went, good. That's how I remembered. I brought him pizza, <laughs> but, um, but, but that's to me. So, and VH1, you know, a lot of ways to me, VH1 was even more satisfying because VH1 was mine.
1: VH1 stands for Video Hits One, and it was created by Warner Amex Satellite Entertainment Media Company in 1985. And the goal of VH1 was to focus on the lighter, softer side of pop music and inside of VH1, they did a lot of really cool things. And John's going to talk about that here, but, pop-up videos, which is why we have the bubbles here, because blip, it would pop up and it tell you a little factoid like this one about VH1.
2: And that's where I met Darius Rucker and Hootie and the Blowfish. That's where we met Cheryl Crow and decided, you know something? We're going to use our power to break these careers. And and let's come, and long before all these docs are out like now, uh, was Behind the Music, which is our doc series. It really, really kind of set, I think, the tone for these 30 on 30s and these other docs that are coming out today. So I'm really proud of that. And then, of course, now 12 years with Bob at iHeart and working, getting to work with you and Charlemagne and Elvis and ryan these incredible uh, talents and obviously the artist. To me, it's just part of the circle, part of the circle of what I do all the time. And I, and every day, and they talk about gratitude, gratitude, it sounds like a cliche. It's so gratifying. I'm so happy that I, on my worst day, I get to get up and do this.
1: This is your worst day? Oh, crap. <laughs> no, no, I know. I know. I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, so, so you, you mentioned VH1. What years were you uh, running VH1? I
2: came in, I left MTV at 86, or early 87. I came back in 93. Tom Preston was running it Bob was long gone. We were, a bunch of us were all gone. Tom was one of our founders and he was still there running it. And I kept saying your viewers that you're basically pulling in from MTV are falling off the cliff as some of these great artists like Tom Petty, The Rolling Stones, U2, were kind of getting into their
1: 40s. Three massive artists here. Tom Petty, The Rolling Stones, and U2 are all in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The Rolling Stones were inducted in 1989, Tom Petty and The Heartbreakers were inducted in 2002, and U2, being the most recent, was inducted in 2005. And here comes Dr. Dre and Snoop and Eminem, which are changing youth culture. Let's talk about Eminem. Eminem has sold the most albums in rap history with roughly 227 million copies total. Snoop Dogg, also in the top 10, with roughly 40 million sold. And Dr. Dre is widely known as one of the greatest producers in the genre's history.
2: I said, you know, we could get the MTV graduates, as I call them. They're 24 years old. They're out of college. They've got a family, but they're too busy. to have. They're not sitting next to a kid in study hall telling them about the next Pearl Jam record. So let, I said, let us be that kind of trusted source to turn them on to music that they're going to love between 25 and 34. I mean, I had a lot of fun doing that because we got into politics with BH1 Safety Music. Obviously, we were working with MTV on Rock the Vote. So we were moving culture, but speaking to no, no longer teenagers, but like a 26 a year old who said, I don't want to quit music. I may be married and have a kid, but I'm not giving up yet. I love music. I'm going to concerts, but I need somebody to keep me up to date with what's going on in music. And that was my whole idea I had for VH1 was just a continuation of MTV and I came up with the term MTV graduates. I don't think it went over too well in the, in the company. A lot of people running MTV were people I had hired when I was there and I moved on to VH1. Despite a little bit of sibling rivalry, we worked really close together and I really enjoyed those years at VH1 because I found a whole new generation of artists. As I mentioned, Jewel, Sarah McLachlan, Hootie the Blowfish, Cheryl. I mean, these rec- these artists sold millions, in the case of uh,
1: Hootie, tens of millions of albums. Let's go through some artists here. Jewel was born in Utah, but raised in Alaska before living in a van in San Diego. She would play coffee houses. Jewel's biggest hit was You Were Meant for Me.
2: Love me and soon you will see
1: Sarah McLaughlin is known for I Will Remember You. Sarah also opened her own music school in 2003 as an outreach program that provides free after-school music education for children in Vancouver. Cheryl Crow graduated from the University of Missouri and became an elementary music teacher in St. Louis before moving to Los Angeles to pursue an entertainment career. She landed backup vocalist roles for artists like Michael Jackson and Sting, all while she was living in Los Angeles. And I love her. Cheryl Crow has many hits, and probably one of the most memorable is "All I Want to Do."
3: All I wanna do is
1: And finally, let's talk about Hootie and the Blowfish. Hootie and the Blowfish derives from Darius Rucker being inspired by his former college roommate's nicknames. One of them wore big round glasses that made him look like an owl. The other had puffy cheeks that made him look like a blowfish. So it was literally Hootie was one person, Blowfish was the other person, and they named the band after that. And Hootie's biggest song, well, Hootie and the Blowfish, the band, their biggest song was Only Wanna Be With You. I only wanna be with you.
2: Another step, really, in my my life of, of working with artists and taking artists and connecting them with the public.
1: Whenever I think back to VH1, there were t- you mentioned one of them behind the music, which I loved. It was like that's how I got to know the freaking Goo Goo Dolls, like in the things behind. But also pop up videos. When pop up videos launched, I thought that was the invention of my lifetime. Little did I know it'd be the iPhone, but before the iPhone, John, it was pop up videos. So I don't know where does pop up videos. How does that come up and who do people say no to that forever? And then it all of a sudden is something that is a, a, it was a phenomenon while it was out.
2: Yeah. You know, there's an old saying that Jan went, not Jan, that I'm and used to have. They say, how do you make it in the music business? He said, you know, what kind of skills do you need to make it in the music business? He said, here's the skills you need. Get up from your desk, get on the elevator, go out in the street and pray you bump into a genius. (laughs) And so I was taking meetings, starting VH1, to look for ideas that really would speak to like an educated audience that grew up with MTV but thought of themselves now as a little bit more clever than a teenager. You know, just like when you do Bobby, your show, you have a voice, you have an attitude. People know Bobby Bones show. You have an attitude. Charlemagne has an attitude and style, as does DJ Envy and the folks at Breakfast Club. It wasn't just to me about playing songs, but what's the attitude? And the attitude was... Let's have fun with some of these artists and let's not get too mean, but let's, let's kind of look at the lyrics of these songs and there's this guy named Tad Lowe and Tad Lowe was doing freelance work for MTV and he, he was the kind of guy that, you know, you'd hire to do your, your birthday video for friends. He's a clever guy who put these little video things together. When I got to VH1, he called me and said, hey, I'm the guy who did that birthday video for you. I go, yeah, yeah, well, what's up? And he said, I got some ideas. So he came in, and one of them was Pop Up Video, and I said it's a little bit of biting the hand that feeds you because it's got it's got a little bit of a little bit of sarcasm. But I said since the artists are the blood that runs through our veins, Ted, you can't be that mean. But have a little fun. That's what happened And Pop Up Video. Boy, did that pop! That just that was a but that helped define the kind of like the brand image for VH1 of just being more than a video jukebox. So part of it was. Serious, where we do back where we talk about that. This is the video you just saw, his video you're going to see now. And obviously, behind the music was stories. Pop up video was, let's have some fun. And then the third one, a show we had called Storytellers. And Storytellers was kind of like, instead of unplugged of playing the songs, it was unplugged with the stories behind the song. And that's where Bowie and, and everyone in the sun played. And that turned out to be, um, one of the hits for
1: us that put us on the map. One of my favorite albums, and I just had Adam Duritz in the studio. We did an hour together from Counting Crows. I signed him. You, what? I signed him to publishing, yeah. I signed, You should, I wish you, well, you should ask Adam when you saw him. Counting Crows, I love them. They're my favorite band. The band name, Counting Crows, is derived from One for Sorrow, which is a British nursery rhyme about the superstitious counting of magpies Which are members of the Crow family? Singer Adam Duritz heard the rhyme in the film *The Signs of Life*, which starred his close friend actress Mary Louise Parker, and probably their biggest song, "Mr. Jones," was what launched the band into superstardom.
3: So go on, I'll I'll tell my story later. Tell me
1: about Adam. I was just gonna say I, I had a man, and he was excellent, and was so generous, and you know, Adam. I'd never met him before, and it's always when you meet kind of your musical heroes, you're, I'm always still a little nervous that I'm going to like him less. I never want to like him less. I always want to leave the same way when I went in. I loved Adam. I thought he was great. I thought he was so generous with his time and his answers. And I just I was talking to him about the album that really, in college, I listened to more than anything else. And it was a storyteller's album. It was Counting Crows Across a Live Wire. And when you talk about storytellers, one of those CDs in the two CD you know, Counting Crow's album was a VH1 storytellers. And so I didn't know you signed Adam. So how did you meet him?
2: After I left MTV, I was, you know, kicking around looking, you know, it was 29 and, and we had made our money there, which wasn't a lot of money <laughs> looking back. At the time I thought it was a lot of money, but I, I was didn't know what I was going to do next. So I kind of tried being an agent, you know, music agent for a while. That I although I respect music agents or, or film agents, wasn't What well, I like to make things. I really was didn't want to be the booker. I wanted to make it. So, or make the content, I took over uh, Chrysalis Records and became the president of Chrysalis Records in North America. And we had, we had a great run. We had we had um, Billy Idol. We had um, Sinead O'Connor, World Party. Um, we had a rock band called Slaughter. We had Arrested Development, Gangstar. It was a great label. And I was about two years in, and EMI bought us and folded our company into another part of EMI. And I was stuck there with another year or two on my contract and I had a piece of the company so I had, I had to stick around to get my, my money. And so, they moved me over to uh, music publishing. And I said, I don't want to use, what does a music publisher do? Well, music publishing, they they find these artists. They're they're the ones, While well, the record labels are they're worrying about graphics and fighting over deals. The publishers are out there finding songs out of clubs. So, I said, all right, well, I got a couple of years here, I might as well go look for some bands. And running, a, being the president of a record company, you're just in finance meetings all day. You're just you're you're so far away, Bobby, from the music. Music publishers are in the music at all times. So I would come into the office instead of sitting in staff meetings all day. I'd be going through tapes or CDs at the time and uh, talking to lawyers because the lawyers are the ones who were finding these artists before the record companies did. I would just be out there with my friends I met from MTV, taking them out to lunches, dinners. I, even, I remember the head of the company saying. Why are you taking these lawyers and, and agents out for lunches? I said, because they're out there finding these artists. So one day, a friend of mine said, I think we're going to, uh, there's this band called Counting Crows. You might like them. They said, "Um, I said, but they're nothing. They they haven't been put made a record yet. I don't think they even met t bone yet, Burnett. And so I went up to San Francisco to a BMI showcase. And there with about 25 people in this club were the Counting Crows playing. I'm going like, how am I so lucky to be in this room? And I'm listening and listening. So, went back and there was Adam. And Adam that time had crazy hair, like some wild, like dreadlocks, yeah, like Bob Marley hair. It was very cool. And he was in there. And uh, I just said, "This is the greatest record I've heard in years." And I, I, I want to say, I'm a music publisher. I don't know what what I do, but I'm a music publisher now. <laughs> and I want to sign you. So. I signed him and and I said, what I would do is I know all my friends from MTV and I can help you get played on MTV and and Lauren Michaels is a great friend of mine. And so uh, when I signed him, the first thing I did was I took the talent uh, director, Marcy Klein, from SNL I said, you got to see this band I signed, they're great. Took her down to Webster Hall, which was the old Ritz uh, in New York. And she said, I love them, I'm going to put them on the show. I said, what? So this band, when the record was just coming out, they were on SNL. And, I, and of course, went back to my friends at MTV and I promoted them to get them on MTV. And um, I said, wow, this is kind of fun in music publishing. You get to find bands and then promote them and, and something that you can't do at a record company because you're too busy going through the paperwork and the red tape. And another band I signed was called Stone Temple Pilots, who sold 7 million records.
1: S.D.P. Stone Temple Pilots, had six number ones that made the Billboard Rock Charts and one number one album on the Pop Charts in 1994. That album was called Purple. I loved it. I listened to it a lot. They won a Grammy in 1994 for Best Hard Rock Performance for this song, Plush. Their lead singer, Scott Weiland, passed away from a drug overdose in December of 2015.
2: Went downtown in New York during this thing called CMJ was called, kind of a college music seminar, They all the young bands and all the a people would go to where the hot bands were. I went to the club where the hot bands were all playing. And I couldn't get in. So, I took my thing out and said, hmm, there's some band called Stone Temple Pilots that a lawyer has to- told me about. Let me go see them at the, this place called The Bank. I, I was a Tuesday night. I walked in the bank. Same thing as Counting Crows. There with 12 people, Stone Temple Pilots, <laughs> ripping the place apart. And all I could think of was that Amit Erdogan line is, pray you bump into a genius. And those are two cases where literally by chance, I ran into two great artists and signed them and and we become lifelong friends. And then I leave EMI and I uh, EMI, EMI Music Publishing, where I signed them and went over to VH1. And what were the first two videos I put on? Stone Temple Pilots and Counting Crows. So, to me, it's part of that, again, that ecosystem where if you just hang around the hoop, and and be and be on the court and be playing, you're going to be able to touch every aspect of the way fans connect with their artists.
1: And that's where I think I've been lucky to to live in that little cyclone or that sweet spot. When you talk about STP from back in the day, Scott Weiland, walking in and hearing a young Scott Weiland sing, I mean, was it undeniable? Now it's undeniable because Stone Tell Pilots were so good, so big. Uh, rest in peace, Scott Weiland. But to hear him that young and before they had broken out, were you like... How does this band not blow up? You know, it's funny,
2: Bobby. It's like, you know, success has a million fathers and failure but one. You know, when you're in a club and you're listening, and I love so much music. I'm a fan like you are. I just love artists. I respect artists. They have more talent and they're pinky than I do, but they're just, you know, I was in a band growing up. I was obsessed with trying to be a great artist, but you're in there and you're saying, I like this you know, and I'm not, I don't have any research data here. I can't say, I'm not, I don't know, focus group here. It's like I'm saying but boy, they they feel like watching them is like watching the Rolling Stones when I was a kid. I mean, I may be the oldest guy in the room here but I still think I have pretty good ears There's certainly a nose to smell it <laughs> and, and to look around and say, something's going on in here. And again, I met him and Scott and Dean DeLeo and his brother, his brother Scott and Eric, the drummer, great guys. And, and it's funny, they're, as you know, from working with artists, they could be crazy and evil and mean on stage, and then you meet them backstage and they're like, "Hey, how are you? Where are you from?" And that's the beauty of these artists. That it's their it's their persona that they put out there. Uh, you know, one of the nicest guys you ever meet is Keith Richards. You see him on stage, you don't want to go near him. You're terrified, <laughs> sweetheart. So but Scott and I love Scott, and you could see he was struggling. But you know, the great thing about him, he was. I would see him anywhere. You know, years after when I moved on to VH1, I would see him and he would be in the dark place, whatever. His eyes would light up. He was still that guy with a heart of gold, gave me a hug, showed me baby pictures. He would be like, you know, just a guy. And it broke my heart that we lost him. But that's kind of part of the journey we're all on, that we look at. Look, at you started out, you know, hip hop, you know, rock and roll. Now, you're a kingpin and country. So, it's about the love we have for music. And you really let that music pull you along and take you on a journey. And hopefully along the way, you know, we use some of our own talent to basically go out and and, uh, and curate and pick the good stuff that we, not the good stuff, the stuff we think will be, will work with, and connect with fans and, and be a promoter. I always say here at iHeart, which is funny, we haven't talked much about radio here, but all the stuff we added MTV or VH1 would never have been a hit without radio. And I used to say to, to everybody, we would get thanked, MTV would get thanked at the Grammys, But it was radio that drove those records home. We were maybe TikTok back then. We were basically the the tip of the spear. But actually, after that, it was radio that drove it home, which is why I was so excited to join my longtime brother, Bob Pittman, to come back here because we could now put a national brand called iHeartRadio on these 880 amazing local outlets and sometimes scale up in order to take a great idea and share it. I used to always say growing up in my town, if it's a good idea for Schenectady, it's a good idea for America. If the Bobby Bones show is a good idea in Nashville, it's a great idea for the rest of the country because we live now in, in a nuclear society where everybody, everybody is everywhere. And we share so many of the same likes and dislikes. So for me, radio to me is probably the most powerful platform I've ever worked on. Certainly didn't get all the press like MTV and VH1 did in the day. But if you really want to know where the power is, it's, you know, people listen to your show every morning when you turn it on to an artist. That's when the button is pushed.
1: Let's take a quick pause for a message from our
2: sponsor.
0: We all can't help but wonder what awaits us around the next corner. What new roads are left to be discovered? What adventures lie just over the next ridge? Push beyond your current limits and find out. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there where the road leads you, and even where the off-road takes you. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Whether the adventure is about the destination, the journey itself, or both, your SUV will match your tenacity mile after mile. And no matter how far you wander, you'll remain tethered to home without even the need to connect your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Every one of Nissan's SUVs have the capabilities to take you where you want to go. The world is waiting to be discovered. What are you waiting for? Learn more at NissanUSA.com.
3: Hello there. This is Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. You saw the potential. Through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Look to your left, look to your right. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with the eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, for your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.
1: And we're back on the Bobby cast. How in the world did you get the coolest job in the whole world? It's that because the job that you're paid to do is awesome, but I know the responsibilities of that, but like the rock and roll hall of fame, like I don't know what the responsibilities are, but that's an awesome job.
2: Well, um, yeah, Bobby, I only wish I had this job in high school because I'd be a lot more popular, (laughs) but um, I've been on the board of the rock and roll hall of fame for 20, 25 years. And on the nominating committee, It's been run for 35 years by Jan Wenner, the founder of Rolling Stone, founder, publisher, editor. Uh, And about four years ago, he gave it up and uh, and I was uh, nominated and voted in to to run the hall, to run the foundation. It's sometimes the greatest job in the world. Sometimes it's the worst because no one's ever happy. The people get in are satisfied. The people who don't are upset. (laughs) So it's kind of like the Country Music Hall of Fame, Cooperstown, the Baseball Hall of Fame, every time you announce the winners, there's enough people saying, well, how come so-and-so didn't get in? What about so-and-so? So, um, in um, for baseball, you got to be batting about 300 to get in Cooperstown and and music is much more subjective. But um, yeah, I love it. It's it's an incredible position to have. I didn't even see it coming. They drafted me on there because I was just happy being on the nominating committee and, and I used to work on producing the shows. But to me, it's just part of my life. Music is everything for me and it's part of the ecosystem I have between iHeart, um, the Hall of Fame, what I do with Robin Hood, and uh, what I did you know, when we started MTV years ago, Bob
1: and I and a few others. It's my life, it's what I do, and I love to live it that way. So if you're to be inducted into the Grand Ole Opry, for example, or the Illuminati, or all of these places that you want to be in, but you really don't know the exactly what you have to do to get in, is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame like that, where there are no exact there's no exact protocol as to how someone gets in. Is it just like a feeling amongst a group of people that are voting or even how to get on the list to be voted for?
2: Yeah, I think you're, you're right, Bobby. It's you know, music is very personal and subjective. So the hall of fame is really based on artists that truly have contributed to the growth of rock and roll and the impact in artists that have followed them. So it would be not just record sales or ticket sales. It really is the music that was made move culture and did it and, you know, influence artists that followed. I think Barry Gordy had the greatest line of all that he used to put on the bottom of every Motown record that said, the sound of young America. And that gives me goosebumps every time I hear that because it was music for teenagers, which is where rock and roll came from in the, in the 50s when it came from. It wasn't one sound, it was an amalgam of, of rhythm, blues, country and gospel. So it wasn't like jazz, which was a very, you know, neat silo, an elite format. Rock and roll was about sex. It was about rebellion. And that's why it's a little bit of a subjective category because it's a, it's so many different sounds that make up rock and roll and it's continued to evolve. So we get a lot of people saying that's not rock and roll. You know, Hank Williams isn't rock and roll. Dolly Parton isn't rock and roll. Uh, well, yeah, they are. Country was a cornerstone of what rock and roll was all about. Somewhere along the line, Rock and roll became known in maybe the sixties or seventies as rock, white guys playing guitars, which is an important part of it's. It's important part of rock and roll, but it's just one, and that's why six of the first ten artists inducted to Rock and Roll of Fame were black. They, they were R and B singers. That was part of the genesis of rock and roll. You listen to the Beatles playing "Roll Over Beethoven." That was written by Chuck Berry. You listen to Cream or Led Zeppelin. Some of those great songs were written by Willie Dixon, Robert Johnson. Um, And obviously, you know, the impact that Johnny Cash has had on on rock and roll. So it's an amalgam. And so that's kind of the the base we use to find really as who should be inducted. Were they part of that amalgam, that sound, that collection of sounds that made up rock and roll? And then the way if you want to really get into the details, there's a nominating committee of 30 people. And 30 people from all walks of life. Tom Morello's on that. Questlove is on that board. Uh, Dave Grohl is on that nominating committee.
1: Let's talk about Rage Against the Machine. The guitarist for Rage, Tom Morello, graduated from Harvard after receiving a scholarship in political science. And he's ranked number 40 in Rolling Stone's Top 100 Greatest Guitarists. Moving on to The Roots, which you may have seen as Jimmy Fallon's house band but The Roots were legit far before Jimmy Fallon the lead singer of The Roots Questlove also Amir Thompson that's his real name was born and raised in Philadelphia his father was a singer his mom was a model and a dancer and instead of paying for babysitters they would take Amir Questlove to shows and have them set up the stages before they performed. And finally, let's talk about Dave Grohl because not only was Dave Grohl the drummer for Nirvana prior to creating the Foo Fighters, he also lived with lead singer Kurt Cobain from Nirvana for the first eight months they were together. Dave Grohl once said it was chaos and even wrote a song about it called Friend of a Friend on the In Your Honor album in 2005.
2: And they come up with 13 names based on uh, the only, I guess, number that, that impacts whether you're eligible or not is, is you had to have a record out at least, uh, or, or your first record out at least 25 years ago. After that, it really is the, the um, what I just what I just really outlined were the parameters of who should be considered for induction. From that meeting, which is I, I always like to say half debate, half World, world Wrestling Federation, and, and arguing, 13 names come out. Then those 13 names, Bobby go to a, a, a larger voting group of about 1,200, uh, made up probably half of former inductees and others from music experts, label, uh, current artists, uh, the reviewers, radio programmers, and they vote on which of the 13 nominees will get one of the seven covet- six or seven coveted slots for performers. And that's really the process. It starts in January. And it's it's a wild meeting because people take the gloves off and go at it. In addition, and not to get it too much into the minutiae here, is there are three special categories that go along with that, the performers group. Uh, One is called musical excellence, producers, songwriters, side men, uh, side women who have have influenced music who may not be performers, some performers, some not. For example, this year, Bernie Taupin, the great Bernie Taupin wrote for Elton John, uh, is getting in under music excellence because of his writing. Last year, Jimmy Jim and Terry Lewis got in for musical excellence because they wrote and produced all those great records. This year also, you've got Al Cooper. Al Cooper found Leonard Skinner, produced Leonard Skinner. Before that, he basically produced and worked on, played the organ for Bob um, Bob Dylan and uh, and played with the Rolling Stones, the Beatles. He was a legendary Sideman producer and then f- and founded Blood, Sweat and Tears. So where do you put a guy in a category like that? Well, we put him in musical excellence. And sometimes if an artist like LL Cool J in this year, in the case of Shaka Khan, had gotten on the ballot, the nominating ballot, many, many times, Bobby, but have not been voted in by the general voting group, then we, our special committee, which is a smaller group, will put them in under musical excellence. And finally, the third category is the Ahmed Erdogan Award, which is named after Ahmed Erdogan, legendary head of Atlantic Records, founder, everyone from Led Zeppelin, Aretha Franklin, the Rolling Stones, amazing record executive. And that's for a non-performer. In the past, Bill Graham has gotten that award. David Geffen has gotten that award. Mo Austin, you know, the legendary record labels. Last year, it was Jimmy Iovine who produced, you know, Bruce Springsteen. This year, it's going to be Don Cornelius who founded Soul Train, Rhythm and Blues. And that's a tough one because everybody, every executive in the business wants that one. That's a coveted slot.
1: We interrupt this interview to bring you a message from our sponsor.
0: We all can't help but wonder what awaits us around the next corner. What new roads are left to be discovered? What adventures lie just over the next ridge? Push beyond your current limits and find out. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. Where the road leads you and even where the off-road takes you. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Whether the adventure is about the destination, the journey itself, or both, Your SUV will match your tenacity mile after mile. And no matter how far you wander, you'll remain tethered to home without even the need to connect your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Every one of Nissan's SUVs have the capabilities to take you where you want to go. The world is waiting to be discovered. What are you waiting for? Learn more at NissanUSA.com.
3: Hello there, this is Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. You saw the potential. Through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Look to your left, look to your right. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
4: A recent price prediction claims that silver could hit $100 per ounce thanks to artificial intelligence. It's well known that silver is needed to fuel the green revolution. Things like solar panels and electric vehicles. But artificial intelligence could also significantly boost silver's demand. Should you be looking at silver to invest in your future? Learn more about silver's potential with your free 2024 gold and silver guide from the top-rated precious metals company, GoldCo. Plus, if you call Gold Co. today, you can qualify for up to 10% in bonus silver, but only while supplies last. So visit iHeartSilver.com today. Gold Co. has helped people just like you diversify their savings with gold and silver, and they've placed over $2.5 billion in precious metals. So what are you waiting for? This is your chance to diversify and protect your savings with precious metals. Plus, you could get up to 10% in bonus silver. Go to iHeartSilver.com to learn how you could get started today. That's iHeartSilver.com. iHeartSilver.com.
1: Welcome back to the Bobby Cast. You know, you bring up something interesting when you have humans defining art, and usually, you know, when you go, hey, is this rock and roll? This happens in country music. Is this country music? And people are like, well, that's not rock. That's not country. But mostly I see that people just hold steadfast to the idea that the type of music that was popular when they were in their formidable years is only the definition of that type of music. You know, in country music, I get it all the time. And now I've been lucky enough to work in pop, in hip hop, in alternative, in country. And so I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on that I'm mostly wrong when it comes to defining anything artistic because it's hard to put a label on art generally. And country music comes from the slave ships from Africa and European uh, people coming to the United States and with fiddles and banjos, that's it. And so when people are like, well, it's not country, it's not like, you know, deep South, prairie. And I'm like, well, if we want to really get down to it, that's not country because country music is derived from, again, people from Africa and people from Europe coming together and joining. I just find that people, when they start to try to define art, they're always wrong. And I imagine that's so frustrating to you when people are like Dolly Parton, Jay-Z, and we could go down and just, and, and pick people. And they go, that's not rock and roll. When they don't even understand what the Genesis of rock and roll was or is. Exactly. Bobby,
2: what happened was before your time and even almost before my time, cause I'm older than you, there was pop 40 radio like the real like 60s top 40 radio, where they would put um, Loretta Lynn would be on the Beatles, Bobby Sherman, the Rolling Stones and uh, the Convoy Trucker song. Like it was just just this collection of songs that 17 year olds had to listen to for whatever reason, this kind of whatever wherever American culture was or is at that time has brought together a sound. That's why rock and roll is so hard to define to your point. Because, and in, as in, in you said, with country, there's sometimes some country uh, kind of old school country fans are saying, no, that's not country. Well, country music, just like every other format, evolves. And then this kind of crossroads of it all really came in 1955 with rock and roll. And that was really because rock and roll is not one sound. You could just, it's everything. And that's why when Dolly got in, she turned it down originally saying, I don't want to block another woman who should get in. I'm country, I'm not rock and roll. So I wrote her a note. And uh, she said, oh, I get it now. Uh, you, the answer is still no. <laughs> but um, you ought to do a better job telling people who you are. <laughs> I thought it was funny. And I said, well, I just got started but you're right. I think the rock rock and roll hall of fame now that you know music it constantly evolves for young for culture, it's gotta do a job of going back. It's not reinventing what it was, it's going back to the the really the, the genesis of what rock and roll was to say this is kind of the path that we followed. But you're right, people are always gonna point fingers, that's not rock and roll you said that's not country it is sometimes easier if you're in the jazz world because jazz is a very clear lane it's a beautiful elite format and you could say that's coltrane that's miles davis that's so and so and rock and roll is kind of is is really a, a, a music of the people and if you look at where a big part of rock and roll came from was the south i mean that's where basically so much music outside of jazz came from the south in america That's why the Rolling Stones, when they were doing their their Sticky Fingers album, they went down to Muscle Shows. They wanted the Muscle Shows players to play on some of those songs. They wanted to capture that song, that sound, because Dead Flowers, very much a part of uh, what the Rolling Stones are about. And that came from country music.
1: You ever have to, is there ever a struggle to separate the art from the artist? Meaning, if it turns out somebody that's really crushed it over the course of 20, 30, 40 years, that's but they ain't that good of a person or there been some story like, do you ever go, we just can't do it because they're kind of a douchebag.
2: Well, That, you know, we, um, the answer is no, we actually are blind to, as you would say, the douchebag filter. And that we, um, it really is based on who they are. And by the way, some of the rock and roll artists were bad boys and bad girls and they broke some, they broke some rules. And that's kind of why we liked them growing up because they we could live vicariously through their music. I mean, Keith Richards, he did every drug under the sun. I didn't. But boy, I love that guy. I just I just I, I just live vicariously through Keith Richards. You know, to me, Street Fighting Man, that was my escape from my small town. What can a poor boy do? It's, you know, singing a rock and roll band. So there are some of the art and some people have been inductive. Maybe one or two have said, screw you. I'm not going to be in this place. You waited too long. I'm not coming now out of almost. 380 inductees, I think one or two or a handful, I think, haven't. But for the most part, we're blind to that. It really is. Did their music move culture? More importantly, did their music did their music move youth culture? I go back to those early Motown records,
1: which is basically did they create the sound of young America? Rage against the Machines up this year. I was a big rage fan. I mean massive. But there was always a battle what we're we gonna come out to at football games because I was a massive Rage fan. And it was either that or Tupac. And it was always, so then it was just every other week. But Love, Rage Against the Machine, and you mentioned that one of the members, one of the selecting members is, yeah, one of the members of Rage. Now, does he have to leave the room whenever you guys talk about Rage?
2: (laughs) You know, like Dave Grohl, who was also a member of the uh, nominating committee before his band was nominated, they sit patiently in the room. And it's interesting because some of these nominating committee members are so tough they don't fold easily. So even if the artist is two feet away from them, that artist may not get the, the votes. That's how tough this room is. I feel very strange being a music fan that I am that is sit next to Dave Grohl and not nominate him the first time. Now, in his defense, um, he was nominated first ballot. He wasn't a a uh, Rage, um sorry, Rage Foos were were not eligible until until two years ago and they got in. Rage has been, and it took a few years, and Tom sat there very, very quietly. But he has contributed so much to the um, to the Hall of Fame because early on there was a criticism of the Hall that it was too um, it, it was too uppity, too much run by critics who turned their nose up at popularity, popular music. So bands like Kiss, Journey couldn't get in, in Rush because this group of of nominating committee members just thought that that was below them. It should be important music. Tom came in, of course, with, from a the, uh, from a band that all the critics loved, and said, "That's that you know, rock and roll is not it's not jazz. It's not some cool, high and inside format. It's of the people. Like I said, it's about sex. It's about breaking the rules. So because of Tom, a lot of these snooty you might want to say nominating committee members went. You're right. You're right. This is the sound of young America. And about five six years ago, the floodgates opened." And you felt you know, a little bit of a democratization of rock and roll to balance off just the high and inside cool cool kids on the block, and we let in some other people that really change young people. I mean, Eddie Vedder listened to Kiss growing up, of course he did. That's he was twelve years old. That's what I mean. We all listened to music when we were teens. It may have changed our taste. May have changed later on. That's been interesting to see those artists in there. And Questlove, of course, is in the Roots, but he's best. He's very he's been very open about supporting younger artists now.
1: Willie Nelson's up this year as well, which is super cool. And what is that dynamic like with folks in the room, again, from all walks of life? And then Willie Nelson comes up as a guy who you have to suggest to be on the ballot and then actually makes it. But when someone like Willie pops up that's super country or Missy Elliott that is hip hop, is that a different conversation than someone who was pretty down the middle, like as a as a pop art, like a Cheryl Crow, for example? That feels like that would be easier for everyone to understand. Not that one's better than the other, but a lot of folks can understand Sheryl Crow mainstream, but Willie and not till later, Missy, they weren't. So is that conversation different when an artist like that is brought up? Bobby, it was about six or seven years ago because you had a group of primarily
2: white people who were raised on rock and roll or rock, excuse me, making the decisions. Early on, it wasn't odd that Hank Williams got inducted or Johnny Cash. Because the early voting really stemmed from people who had a knowledge of the 50s. And so when you had the original Amon Erdogan, Seymour Stein, Bob Krasnow on that committee, they got why Brenda Lee should be in the rock and roll fame. They got why Fats Domino should be in the rock and roll fame because they understood the, the really the creation and the genesis of, of truly what was rock and roll. As years went by and kind of white rock began to kind of steer the perception of the rock and roll fame or really the inductees, that's where the group kind of fell into a comfort zone of a certain sound that was naturally an extension of white people playing rock and roll music. Well, what I want to do coming in was, again, not redefine but really co- go back to the roots and the, defini- the true definition of rock and roll and begin to honor the people who who really should who deservedly should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, that's now that we've, I think, putting Dolly in last year, all of a sudden, Willie Nelson, who's 90 years old this year, automatically gets in first, I mean, first ballot. I think it took a trailblazer like Dolly to, re- I, I don't want to say open the gates, but reopen the gates to to the the true genesis of rock and roll being honored because it was happening back in the the late 80s when the Hall of Fame was established, when Johnny Cash, Hank Williams, uh, Brenda Lee, and again, I'd say mentioned earlier, Fats Domino, um, Ray Charles, they were all in the Hall of Fame. That kind of dipped and faded during the 90s when people kind of, I don't want to say lost sight, but kind of lost track of some of the artists that were that really were true true iconic
1: artists that that helped shape rock and roll and i'm really happy to report that's coming back now And when it comes to iheart like what is your job exactly because i read your fancy title which is president of i because you do everything i've seen you be involved in everything period but president of iheart media entertainment enterprises that's a lot of big words it can mean a lot of big different things so what does that even mean john
2: well thank you bob Pittman, for dreaming that title up it, when I was, I was about to go and do yet another startup in 2010, I had left Viacom. I'm the only people not to be fired, but I probably would have been fired because they fire everybody eventually there. Um, but to me, the glory days were gone of MTV and VH1 or, or I don't want to say, well, the way I wanted to run it was gone. So I decided to leave. I was going to run a company called Shazam, you know, which is you can hit a, hit a song, Shazam it. And I thought that could be the next MTV. The way you could basically because you could your your users were opting in. I know that Bobby Bones likes Lady Gaga. Um, okay, now I okay, I'm gonna now talk to Bobby about this song. Bobby Bones loves counting crows, I'm gonna do this. John Sykes loves the Rolling Stones, I'm gonna connect him. Like uh, you could have a you could have this, this amazing algorithm connected you to the people who opted in. And then Bob called and said, I'm gonna do this. I know you like to work, you like scale, John, which I love scale. And he said, we're going to take the biggest company that bigger than Google or Facebook as far as reach and kind of want you to be a partner on it. And I said, well, I'm not that really good at running a radio station. I haven't run one since college and, and I'm not really interested in running one station in one market. I kind of like I've been trained over the years for MPV and VH1 everything to talk to the country. And that's hard because hard in this world of narrowcasting to talk to the country. I like the idea of amplifying a great idea and making it better. So I said, you know, there's why don't I just build out taking this platform and build out relationships and so we could push a button and break an artist and we could create events on other platforms like video, actually, you know, short form video, broadcast television uh, events where we can put a lot of people under the iHeart umbrella. And then Bob put me with Tom Pullman as a partner to, you know, Tom runs I've programming for the stations to look for the right artists, and help to break them, and help to put together actually marketing packages, which is what I did at MTV all the years to try to break artists. And so, part of my time, Tom and I are working on finding the right artists, breaking them nationally using our powerful turbines of radio to break them. And the other half of my time, we're looking for new places to put um, all our shows, our award shows on Fox. We're about to put Jingle Ball to another broadcast, a huge broadcast network. Our our festival is going to go on one of the big streamers. So I look for partners that we can basically take to amplify the iHeartRadio brand. Um, and then I also deal with the advertisers with, uh, with Verizon, Discovery and Warners to really, to, I, I always say to them, don't just run a commercial, have Bobby Bones or Elvis or Ryan talk with their team about this movie's about to come out about this product, this, this new phone and humanize it to your point, Bobby, about being the trusted companion. And not to lie or, or or be in any way facetious, but if they do believe in the product and they are connected with it, talk about it. What better way? I mean, television—you have to buy a thirty-second spot. It's one and done; and you're gone. This is the time where you could actually have this person who you're sitting in the car with stuck in traffic for forty-five minutes saying, "It's unbelievable! I just there's this new movie called you know, called Elvis." You know, you might think of Elvis as some old fat lounge singer from Vegas. He was like the Clash. He was a punk artist in 59. He upset parents. He a bit. And you tell that story and the advertisers go, I see radio can do something that no one else can do. So Bob kind of lets me go wherever I want to go here. And I've never had more. I have never stayed the job this long, 12 years. But it is. Um, and if I find the right television opportunity, you know, uh, you know, with um, uh, I remember, I think we talked two years ago with the Masked Singer that was coming out and then and you went on to do Idol. And, you know, and I, I had nothing to do with Idol. I was jealous. I wish I had. But I mean, it's something that your take and we just put the Breakfast Club on BET. That's something I always figured, like, that should be, you know, I thought I was tried so hard I wanted you to go on CMT and they, they all the good, I don't say the good people, but you know, <laughs> the people who were who were really great at CMT left and they kind of put it all in one one umbrella and they didn't see the power of Bobby Bones and that could have been great for CMT. So that's kind of you know that's a long another one of my long answers to your short question of what do you do? It's kind of like every day every day is a blank slate for me uh, but at the end of the day, you know I just have a, I have an agreement with Bob and Rich that you know I say, is it still working and they go
1: still working I go good, I'll hang up, it's still working. When I come to New York in the next year or so I mean I'm there a lot more than that but we can get our schedules to line up. I just want to sit down and talk artists. I just want to with you go, this artist, that artist, this artist, and just hear the stories and just document some of these Sykes Nuggets that that we got to get them. We got to get them down. You have so many from so many different genres from different eras. So, so much respect for me to you for, you know, the resume that you have built and the high level that you've built it and good luck with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and don't think I'm not going to hit you up to go, John, I'm in town. Let's get on two microphones. I'm ready to go. You should come. I'm inviting you to the rock and roll fame induction ceremony this November,
2: Friday, November 3rd at Barclays. And if you want to witness one of those induction ceremonies, there's nothing else like it. It's, it, is, it is a cavalcade of stars that come in from all genres, again, to our earlier conversation about what makes up rock and roll. They're all
1: there on a stage. It'll blow your mind. John, I appreciate your time and I will see you very soon, my friend. Thank you so much, Bobby. See you, buddy. Love this episode of The Bobby Cast? Subscribe on iHeartRadio, Apple
2: Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: If you're looking for the most epic place on Earth,
1: let's start at the base of a
0: massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, Keep going. Because with Intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes in a Nissan
1: Pathfinder, search is the real adventure. Available feature Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.
0: Turns out a delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything they make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived and other thoughtfully chosen ingredients, their cleaning products smell like a dream and work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. Goodness, there's no better feeling than that. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Visit Myers.com today.